Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are looking at the theme of privilege in Harry Potter. To start us off, we have a quote that comes from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. When Harry is caught by Snape after he's not supposed to have gone to Hogsmeade because he did not have permission to go. So this is part of the conversation between them, and this is what Snape says. So, everyone from the Minister of Magic downwards has been trying to keep famous Harry Potter safe from Sirius Black. But famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. Let the ordinary people worry about his safety. Famous Harry Potter goes where he wants to, with no thought for the consequences. How extraordinarily like your father you are, Potter. He too was exceedingly arrogant. A small amount of talent on the Quidditch pitch made him think he was a cut above the rest of us too. Strutting around the place with his friends and admirers, the resemblance between you is uncanny. Yeah. Burn, Harry. <laughs> I mean, the sad thing is, he's not really saying anything that's untrue. Especially know? about Harry. He is... Yeah, this is I mean, so I would say because... especially about James, but... I think it's it's so biting because it is true. Because, yeah, Harry has been someone who... The book up to this point is all about him being in danger, specifically. And he's going out and doing dangerous things. Just for fun. Just for fun, exactly. Yeah. For sweets, to be in Hogsmeade. And it's just... Yeah, it's such a... a I think a, an indictment on his decisions. And, like... I feel bad for him, mm-hmm. you know, it would suck to have to stay back when all of your friends and all your classmates go and enjoy it. First of all, his friends could have stayed back with him. Right. But even if they didn't, even if they're like, oh, we're just going to go for a couple hours and, you know, they were going to bring stuff back for him and whatnot, but like... You can be on your own for a couple hours, Harry. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Harry. You just have to hang out in the magical castle on your own. <laughs> yep. That the rest of us dr- literally dreamed about going to. Don't you have homework to do, Harry? <laughs> Where you learn how to do magic? <laughs> he doesn't care about that. <laughs> but yeah, he he is disregarding the rules and the things that are put in place by people who are wiser than he is that are put in place for his protection and yeah i I think it is interesting he and his father grew up in very different circumstances but yeah it seemed like neither of them really get in trouble for anything you know what he does or what his father did that were bad things or yeah breaking rules and not just like that breaking rules across the board is bad if rules are unjust or something like that but those aren't the rules that they were breaking Mm -hmm. you know a lot of them were for the protection of students in a really dangerous place Mm -hmm. and yeah the fact that neither of them have any consequences for those things i can understand why snape is infuriated by them Because he sees the unfairness. He Mm -hmm. sees that, yes, Harry and his friends took it upon themselves in their first year to try to go up against a adult who's working for Voldemort. And they got awarded for it. They they got... When really they gave him 
the thing that he was trying yeah. to get. He never would have been able to get it otherwise. Exactly. And so if, say, Ron had been killed in that chess match mm-hmm. and everything else happened the exact same way, then he would have just been putting them in danger and caused that to happen. And they're lucky that it didn't. Mm-hmm. So Harry has learned, and this is why I think this is a really good example of privilege. Harry has been shown that he has special treatment, that Mm -hmm. he can do what he wants. He can do dangerous things and he will get away with it and that he will not be punished for it. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense why Snape is constantly like, he should be punished for Mm -hmm. these things that he's doing. And he's not even in this case. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. He's always made it out okay, mm-hmm. and he just operates from that place of assuming that things will work out, or that even if they don't, it'll only negatively impact, impact him and not others around him, and that's just simply not true. Yeah, absolutely. You're not the center of the world, Harry. Yeah, Harry. <laughs> yes, you're a child, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but his father annoys me much more, so. I know. <laughs> and there's just no redeemable qualities to me for his character he's just like he is that like privileged rich boy with status like ugh, can't deal with it go away and why don't we move on to the next thing <laughs> yeah so i was wondering what character you're going to bring i didn't bring james potter i was assuming you were going to honestly <laughs> <laughs> no he makes me too angry <laughs> <laughs> You want to keep the podcast lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to take years off my life for him. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about Ron Weasley. Okay. Because I think he's really interesting because oftentimes when we think about him, just on the surface level, you're going to think about how he feels ashamed because of his family's socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And it could be easy for him to just fall into a oh yeah he's disadvantaged but I I think that he actually has a lot of privilege in general he's able-bodied he's neurotypical he's a white cis boy who probably is pretty low on the Kinsey scale if he isn't a zero plus he has two parents that get along and don't abuse him or his siblings And then on the magical side, he is a human with magic abilities. Mm -hmm. And he goes to the supposed best school around and has also automatic magical knowledge and cultural knowledge growing up in magical family and being pure blood and all of these things that have been passed down, you know, for so long that other people like Hermione or even Harry, you know, they they did not get in their upbringing. And them not having gotten that is going to disadvantage them. And not just that, but like single them out. If it's like a game they don't know how to play or babbity rabbity, like a story they don't know, like everybody knows the reference and and they don't know. So it, it just could be ostracizing, certainly in a purely magical environment. And so in all of those things, he is at the top of the Magicka is my statue. Mm -hmm. And yeah, even if other people like the Malfoys look down on his family because of his dad having this 
fascination slash fetish. I don't know what we want to call it. This obsession with muggles, mm-hmm. you know, that, that makes them judge their family. But outside of that, their family is, is quite privileged and they're purebloods. So they, they are not going to be persecuted the same way. Yeah, it seems like they're still the family, the Weasleys, is well-respected if Arthur Weasley's family is not. Like if, if I don't know if they have cousins that are Weasleys or, or other kinds of things beyond that. But the, the kind of, the name of Weasley is not necessarily, if you look at things generationally, looked down upon the same way because it is such a full-blood family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that in the areas where he lacks a bit of privilege... I think part of it would be appearance. He has red hair and a lot of freckles. And even though, I don't know, I feel like in the American context, it's baffling to think about redheads being discriminated against and bullied, but it does happen. I'm not sure how much here, but certainly in the UK. Definitely. Which I'm assuming has something to do with historical oppression of Irish people. Well, the stereotype that if you have red hair, you're Irish, even though I don't know if that's actually statistically true, but I was even looked up a little bit and it was fascinating, something that like I just didn't realize at all. Even in art where red hair is used to communicate different things, most of which are are negative in one way or another, even apparently Judas has been painted with red hair Interesting. i know in in a lot of art pieces which i just i never really realized so yeah i think there is something there and that is definitely something that is talked about or mentioned frequently and he's also lanky which i don't see as a problem i prefer it but uh culturally that is something that boys are often made fun of uh, for being mm-hmm. you know other than that i think that they seem to be in probably the lower end of wizarding middle class with a, a single income and a large family but it's not necessarily systemic reasons that they are in that position it is because their their parents chose to have this huge family and they only have one income mm-hmm It's not like Mrs. Weasley couldn't get a job anywhere. She would be discriminated against so that she she couldn't find work or couldn't find work that paid well enough or something like that. I mean, the fact that they can all survive on just one income means Arthur has to be making a fair amount of money. Yeah, and he's middle management in the government bureaucracy. Exactly. Um, So there's, there's some amount of status with that as well. But, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't impact Ron's experience. Yeah. And it does. I mean, like we mentioned in our last Harry Potter episode, the fact that he has a broken wand all of book two and that isn't replaced. The fact that in book four, he has to have those terrible hand-me-down robes that are so out of date and humiliating mm. for any teenager to have to go to a dance with their peers and you know it it does impact him and he's clearly very self-conscious about it even if he's not impoverished like the way the gaunts are or something like that Mm -hmm. so yeah I, i think it's interesting because i think he's mostly privileged but there are some ways that come through where 
he does lack some privilege. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I think, a good example of intersectionality. This Mm -hmm. concept of people's privileged or non-privileged statuses being not just along one spectrum, but along many intersecting spectrums. And that people will have experiences with or without privilege that are affected by the way that those things intersect. Um, Mm -hmm. And so here we see him with a large family, financially struggling family, but a family that are full-blooded wizards, Mm -hmm. are going to have a different experience of having a lower economic status or struggling economically than someone who wouldn't be a wizard, who'd be muggle-born, who'd also have to figure out how they're engaging in this world. Because they wouldn't have their father who works in the ministry that that people will know about when they graduate from Hogwarts and can get a job there. They won't have these other kinds of elements. And, And as you mentioned, they won't be going into Hogwarts with a knowledge of the magical world so Mm -hmm. um that's just one of those examples and i think the weasleys are yeah a very interesting element of of lots of these intersections and i think it it comes out in his attitudes Mm -hmm. like it feels like he just expects things to be handed to him Mm. to some degree it's like oh i wish we had a house elf and like oh let's go to the kitchens and have them make me food and he's so affected by the fact that he has less money than his other two friends, whereas they aren't that way, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they have probably struggled more. We don't know as much about Hermione. Obviously, if we're reading her as a black girl, then definitely has struggled more. And once she gets to Hogwarts, yeah, she she is an outsider to the magical world and slurs are thrown at her and all sorts of things and gets to the point where she has to actually fear for her life. And Harry obviously grew up with so much abuse and malnourishment, you know, all of these different things. Obviously he was orphaned, you know, so it's like they have experienced a lot more struggles throughout their life and I think are more generous people not that not that Ron, i mean like he doesn't they don't have a lot of money but then when he does have something he will get them both a christmas present so it's not like he doesn't give anything but he's just he's so self-conscious about it and he's doesn't like being overlooked he doesn't want to study you know, he, he, he just kind of has this entitled attitude i feel like mm-hmm. things that he thinks should be And then if he doesn't have that, then he feels bad about it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if that comes from all of the other privileges of his life. Totally. But yeah, why don't we move into your plot point? Sure. I want to talk about how the Death Eaters are impacted by privilege. Mm, Because Voldemort, you know, he he wants power. He believes in, in himself and in his own capabilities, and he essentially just wants to rule over everything. And he does have kind of an ideology behind that, but that's more based off of his own view of the world than something that he tries to convince others of. Like, we don't see him convincing people to join the Death Eaters. We just see him having his followers and keeping them in line through fear. And so when I think about the ideology of that movement, I really think about why the Death Eaters are involved in this. What What is it that they get out of this? And I think that it's clear that for many of them, it is the maintenance of, or, or the attempt to regain some type of privilege, where the inclusion, and perhaps if this is a newer trend 
for that society, I'd be really interested, but the inclusion of Muggleborns into the Wizarding World so fully is something that seems to be a, a, an intense anxiety for many people. That's the, the main issue that we see the Ministry under Voldemort in, in Book 7 hammering home at, is taking the wands and imprisoning Muggleborn witches and wizards. Well, I think you, you see a little bit of that come out in the language that Draco uses the very first meeting between him and Harry and Madame Malkins, where he was talking about like, oh, I don't think Muggleborn should be allowed into the school. It's like they're changing our ways. It's kind of like they're not a part of our community and they're coming in and they're changing things. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so... While obviously the Malfoys are extremely well off, I don't see necessarily anything that, that implies that Crab and Goyle are, or that McNair is as well. That every single Death Eater is just a wealthy member of society who's trying to maintain that wealth. I think that there is much more about these ideas of blood status being involved here, and... We know Snape wasn't wealthy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so... Yeah, it, it, frankly, it just, it, I think it, it's an interesting metaphor for something like Reconstruction in the United States. This is the era uh, after the, the American Civil War from the 1865 to probably the late 1870s when formerly enslaved people were given full citizenship rights, had the ability to vote, they ran for office, they were involved in education, and there's a lot of promise in that time because they had access to new privileges they were denied before. And the end of Reconstruction resulted because, essentially, Southerners in general were like, we can't just allow this to happen. Because, in particular, the poorest white people now had to compete economically and lose status socially with the uplifting of African-American status and economics. And so this led to, ultimately, the passage of Jim Crow laws, the rise of things like the Ku Klux Klan, lynchings, all these other kinds of things that, that the Death Eaters, I think, are really, really emblematic of. And so I can see in the Death Eaters the same kind of, yeah, response to a community that had previously been denied access to privilege, who were getting more access and that being a threat in particular to people who are not just the Malfoys, but who are themselves like the Weasleys, kind of like in nuanced tiers of privilege. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes me think of at the World Cup, the Quidditch World Cup in book four, when many of the surviving free Death Eaters start to terrorize the people, and in particular, the Muggles who are working at the campsite. Yeah, the, you know, the question is like, why would they do this? And I think part of it is they're in a kind of festive mood or what have you. But I think a lot of it... <laughs> is that they are still anxious about these changes and they still are wanting to, to make a statement, creating terror and making fear be maintained in people's, uh, in, in their world. Well, um, nothing bad happens to any of them. Exactly, yeah. They can do it and get away with it. Mm -hmm. So why not do it? Yeah. The Ministry's very quick to show up when the Dark Mark gets sent up, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason are unable to stop this crowd of really death shouldn't eaters. be very hard. They have magic. Yeah. <laughs> the Prime Minister's there. I'm guessing there's plenty of security. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's uh, 
an interesting element to think about how the Death Eaters, I think one of the main reasons behind their actions and behind the reasons why people are, are showing up and, and why this is a cultural movement for certain people is this maintenance or an attempted maintenance of a privilege that requires other people to be of lower status. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll could resort to violence in order to try to maintain that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's many, many examples of this going on all over the world throughout history today, you know, where people take up violence in order to sometimes maintain very ephemeral types of privilege or uh, status. Definitely. And, you know, why some people who weren't even pure blood would want to join the Death Eaters. Mm -hmm. It's because it can still give them higher status than they would be afforded otherwise. Yeah, totally. Well, should we move into our compelling questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so what'd you have for me? Privilege is inherently intersectional. So I'm wondering where you see some different characters not that it's good to rank people or anything <laughs> like that. It's ridiculous. But, you know, it gives more understanding and context to characters. And so, yeah, I thought it, it could be interesting for us to kind of bring out some of those intersectionalities for a few characters. One of the characters that first comes to mind is a character like Neville, mm -hmm. who is pure blood, who had two parents that were both Aurors, and if Aurors are given anything similar to the salaries of police officers in <laughs> our society, they are fairly well off. Actually, Probably. I think it was just his dad that was an Auror. Possibly. I thought both of them were, but... Oh, yeah. that'd be nice. I mean, <laughs> would it? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but then the hospitalization of both of his parents... Mm -hmm. leads to him being raised by extended family. And I don't know what kind of resource strain it means to have his parents hospitalized for that long. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if his grandmother is still working or if she is retired or if she has savings or, or how her, his family gets by otherwise. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions behind Neville's experience. You know, I think there could be very interesting headcanons yeah, was he not getting the right kind of nutrition growing up? Was he forced to go to a muggle school that didn't work? Or was he homeschooled by his grandmother who wasn't equipped to homeschool him? Or, or you know, what was happening in his life beforehand? Because he clearly, I think, was raised in, in harder circumstances than you might assume before you find out about his parents. Mm-hmm. And in, in a society that's fat-phobic or anti-fat, that's a factor as well. Absolutely. Which I'm sure contributed to him being bullied. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Snape is clearly a fascinating example. Someone who chooses to go by the Half-Blood Prince because he wants to uplift a certain part of his identity to try to claim that privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even do so as far as becoming a Death Eater. And who pretty clearly has depression. Yeah. I wonder how Cedric's home life is. Clearly his father dotes on him and mm -hmm. is extremely supportive of him. And also has a really, I'm sure, high-paying job in the ministry. It and seems he's an only child, so yeah. probably fairly well off. Mm -hmm. 
He's stereotypically attractive. Yeah, popular. Yeah. He seems to be fairly socially comfortable, which means he's most likely, yeah, neurotypical. So I think that he probably has privilege there that comes with that too. Was there anyone you were thinking about in particular? Yeah, it was I was thinking about Marope. Mm. An impoverished woman with little magical abilities in like a single parent, definitely patriarchal and abusive home. Yeah, but, and maybe her little magical abilities because she's constantly traumatized by the abuse. Yeah, um, but also, you know, she had lineage mm-hmm. and from what we can gather, it was white um, mm-hmm. and could still do some amount of magic, which then gave her power over Tom Riddle. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think she's she's an interesting one, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Hagrid is also, mm-hmm. has all of these different <laughs> intersectionalities going on. Obviously, half-giant and also was from a single parent home but then was orphaned had the lack of education after age 12 yeah uh, was formerly incarcerated and even his place of work is like not set up for his body size Mm -hmm. at the same time he does have some advantages when it comes to like spell work not working against him as as easily as it would a full human Absolutely. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I think he's a really good example of how lack of privilege can tie to systemic oppression, where he is an easy scapegoat both times the Chamber of Secrets is opened because he is different. Yeah, he's incarcerated, even though it's and expelled for things that he isn't actually guilty of. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, there's many people who've been incarcerated in our society because of part of their identity or because they are just treated differently by the system because they lack certain privileges mm-hmm. yeah and i think winky too is a good example mm. because obviously elves are not allowed wands and are born into slavery but she in particular is female and she's also wrongly accused mm-hmm. and given no opportunity to prove her innocence her account isn't even taken into account at all and she clearly after she is thrown out by the crouches has depression and substance abuse issues Mm -hmm. and is then also stigmatized by other elves for those things which we don't know but i wonder if part of that is is gendered as well Mm -hmm. and how they would see her versus how they see Dobby as still we think you're weird because culturally you are going against some of our values but not giving him dirty looks or something in the same way I think as as they do to Winky. Yeah that's very interesting actually it leads into my compelling question. Okay let's go for it. I was wondering how you saw privilege being exhibited in non-human sapient creatures. Yeah, it's interesting because the goblins seem to have the highest status among non-human magical peoples because they control the money to some degree. Mm -hmm. There aren't any other non-human peoples that we see working in Diagon Alley or having businesses and, and things like that. And so there is also seems to be some amount of like 
I don't know if respect is the right word, but at least like with Bagman, you know, like he's afraid when mm-hmm. he has not paid what he owes them and things like that. They're they're not seen as beings that you can just like walk over. Yeah, they have like, power. Yeah, exactly. But like they still aren't allowed to use wands. Mm-hmm. Griphook is still struck by how Harry treats Dobby and how he treats them, you know, to some degree. So it's clear that there is discrimination still, but as far as other magical peoples go, yeah, I would think that they probably are one of the highest status. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where more people fall, but it seems like they are kind of left to themselves versus the centaurs that would like to be left to themselves, but people keep coming into their land. And I'm sure that Hogwarts was originally their land yeah. as well. The, the people are privileged by the fact that they live in an area that would be difficult for wizards and witches to live in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then obviously house elves are probably one of the least privileged that we know of. I think giants too. Giants, yeah. I mean, they were all kind of moved out, right? Yeah. Um, well, they're, they're kind of hiding in order to not be wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. But part of it, like, they have a huge size difference, mm-hmm. right? And so there would be some advantages there. And so I, I think different groups have different advantages innately, potentially. Even, like, the centaurs being better diviners. Mm-hmm. But... In terms of privilege, I don't think really many of them have much at all in this world that was structured by human magical people and have a whole government where only humans are there deciding things um, and making rules and, yeah, saying where peoples can live and, you know, how they can or can't access magic Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I also kind of wonder about the fact that the centaurs seem to be, like, more communal. Mm -hmm. There are a group of them, whereas house elves are so often isolated, so they wouldn't be able to form as much power in numbers. Yeah, I wonder if house elves are kind of utilized as almost like the model minority of the wizarding <laughs> worlds you know look what great workers they are how honored they are to be in our households they serve the society so well mm-hmm. you know if only the other magical peoples would have the same work ethic that they had mm-hmm. they could uplift themselves just like they yeah. have and of course all of these being they statements of non that <laughs> community speaking for them <laughs> yes <laughs> I mean, maybe sometimes the people from the community speaking of course, of course. for the group as well. But obviously there's a diversity in that. Yeah. Like Dobby being like, no. <laughs> exactly. Well, why don't we move into our missed opportunities? Yeah, so mine is that something that's really kind of misses the mark for me in the Harry Potter books is so often ideas of privilege is in the realm of metaphor mm-hmm. you know they they deal with blood status and different species instead of racism they have squibs instead of talking about ableism you know 
it, and I, I think it kind of softens things a bit. Like, yeah. sure, there are some parallels that we can draw, but it's it's very imperfect. And there are some things that don't translate, or if they translate, are offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's at the expense of seeing some of those things in action that we in our societies as humans deal with and with them being in our society they would deal with as well absolutely yeah i I think class is probably the one that translates the most yeah and maybe for a white woman who's english you know that makes sense that that's what she is looking to a little bit more yeah. or understands a little better. Also in a country where um, nobility actually exists, so blood status <laughs> yeah. makes more sense as a metaphor. It's true. <laughs> but it's, yes. It's true, yeah. yeah. And yeah, every once in a while you'll get something like Pansy Parkinson making that racist comment about Angelina's hair. But like, there is no exploration of that. There is yeah. no impact that we see on Angelina's lived experience at Hogwarts and interacting with a lot of white people, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just missing and not that you don't want to add layers to a magical world Mm -hmm. with these different elements that don't exist in ours, but in doing so, it shouldn't be at the expense of other things that people actually do face in our world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Mine is that I think in the magical world, magic is in of itself a privilege and is something Mm -hmm. that is not explored in such a way. And I think that privilege generally isn't really explored that explicitly where no one recognizes that they have a certain amount of privilege. I think Ron comes closest to that, but even he doesn't really go through an extent of being like, oh, I'm treated differently because I am full-blooded or because I am male or because I am anything else. He only realizes when he's treated worse Mm -hmm. than he thinks he should be than when he's treated better than everyone else. Exactly. Which is how privilege works. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it kind of makes me feel like, you know, is there this inherent entitlement to these characters because they aren't examining that privilege and critiquing their own privilege, particularly when the entire magical world is maintaining its privilege by maintaining its secrecy, refusing mm-hmm. to allow muggles to know that they exist, even though magic could probably solve things like poverty and other kinds of elements that could that negatively affect people magical or not at least very disease injury so yeah because their entire society is kind of built on the maintenance of this privilege and because no one really examines that that privilege that much I, i kind of feel like the story as a whole ends up having characters who are entitled and that's something that i would kind of want to see more of in the story more of entitled people (laughs) (laughs) i guess more more from the story Mm -hmm. in regard in this area yeah Mm -hmm. yeah okay so uh what is your takeaway i think that my takeaway is that the harry potter books were probably one of the first places i came across ideas of privilege in novels when i was a kid Mm. which is important yeah to help 
notice things, get enraged by things. Yeah, I think in some ways, as I've experienced more of life and learned more, in some ways, some of those things have deepened even more when reading the books. Like, I notice more things, and in other ways, I notice more, like, shortcomings. Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm kind of thinking, like, in the realm of fiction, it kind of helped push me along, and <laughs> now... You wish you could push it along. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what I think we do here on the podcast, right? That's what we try to do. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What's your takeaway? I think I would like in my next read through to to look into how being muggle-born affects students mm-hmm. at Hogwarts. I think it's something that I, I never really paid a lot of attention to. And I, I think I remember something being said about Harry having anxiety about that but it kind of being dispelled very quickly because everyone was starting off kind of the same place in the first year and I hope that there's more to it than that or maybe I'll just have to build more headcounts than that because that frankly just doesn't make sense to me or is it that like he wouldn't be discriminated against because he's Harry Potter right well I mean even others would be beyond discrimination though that's something too Mm -hmm. like being able to be successful at class like does harry know the difference between a charm and a curse and a transfiguration spell and you know these other kinds of things do we know the difference (laughs) i mean if if we don't maybe harry doesn't either (laughs) we know hermione does even if we don't know exactly but you would assume that ron does as well just from living in that context his entire life totally that's going to i think impact things beyond what the book says it does impact Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my, my takeaway would be I'd like to look for more of that in in the text, either that I can take out of the text or that that is actually there. Yeah, and how much for him is impacted because Hermione is there to mm-hmm. answer so many of his questions versus like Colin maybe doesn't have anybody there. Totally, and yeah. is kind of isolated in that experience. Yeah, exactly. And does Hermione, being Muggleborn herself, but still being that kind of reinforce this idea that oh muggleborns could totally be at an equal level as wizardborn kids in hogwarts it shouldn't you know mm-hmm. it should it should show even more how exceptional she is rather than the opposite well and the fact that she was stressed out about it and mm. that's why she read ahead totally that's why, which is yeah. exactly what i would have done would too, yeah yeah <laughs> Although I would and do, you didn't read anything I would do ahead. Less, less because I was stressed out about it more because it's magic. <laughs> exactly. Didn't read anything ahead. No, not for school, but <laughs> for magic. When yeah, when when book series came when out, when they tell you you're gonna be a little superhero. Yeah, exactly. Then I go through that book series in a weekend, yeah. <laughs> even when I was eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, can you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? Yeah, so next week we are going to be returning to The Hunger Games and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We're going to be looking at those series through the theme of agency. Okay, that'll be great. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. Or you can go to patreon.com slash geekbetweenlines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, getting you access to all sorts of fun extra content, and helping us to keep the show sustainable. 
We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.